You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So I, uh, we looked up in the attic, and I'm looking around the room here just to make sure he's not around. Um, we mentioned uh, the Nightcrawler action figure before, or Nightcrawler. I know we mentioned Nightcrawler. I remember we mentioned the action figure, but Emily had one, and I had one. And I can't imagine that I got rid of it, but I would assume that in the moving, he would have gotten put with all of my Star Star Trek action figures at some point, but I... I think he may have also got put, gotten placed in a random decor box that's somewhere in the house because well, he did hang up and set on shelves and stuff. I was getting ready to say, we, we didn't like play with him like a toy because I think we both got him when we were a little older. So he, Yeah, we were both adults when we got him. Yeah, he, he kind of just lived wherever we wanted him to. Mine hung off the mirror when I was living on the farm and he, he just kind of hung around. And there's a good possibility my oldest daughter stole mine. Right, right. Yours are still too young to go klepto on you. Well, they did finally convince me to let them play with Leo Prime. I found his arm and... Yeah, his arm's around here somewhere. Yeah, he's always missing limbs. I've, I've got... I need to find... I'll, pu- I'll post it on the Instagram. There's a... There's... <laughs> occasionally I'll find him, like, laid out somewhere in some weird position, and it's like, oh, Leo's having a bad day today. <laughs> and, well, I, like... Wait a minute. I said, this came off your dad's and your oldest, like, yeah, he lets us play with it. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay, I'm just going to take your word for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they, they finally convinced me now. The, the Doctor Who Lego set up there, they're not getting a hold of that. That thing's staying where it is. Yeah. You were always very protective of your Legos. I the, didn't get to play with your Legos. Well, the thing with the Lego stuff, like, you know, especially like the ships and things that it was so, took so much time to build them and i need to go get the ones from mom's house because i put those up on the soffit in her kitchen and i think that kind of drove her a little crazy it, it, but the thing is they're still there i mean like, are they still in the soffit i thought she had put them in storage um i they're either there or they're in the back bedroom somewhere okay yeah i need, I need to go get them um and put them up here because i like the i love the shelf that we have around the yeah i'm kind of jealous but of course i live in a camper so i'm pretty much jealous with anything that says hey there's room to expand yeah but i I did find some of my old comic books uh, up there uh this is actually i had like i don't even i didn't even count them i think like 10 comic books that i had growing up that i read over and over because i there was not really a comic there wasn't a comic shop in muskogee for one and so you'd buy them at the grocery store like savages and um <laughs> and so you just kind of got whatever uh homeland happened to have in stock and you know Anyone who's been to Homeland knows that it's definitely not a library. Well, I mean, that, that's just the joys of living in small town Oklahoma because the town we actually grew up in had two convenience stores, one restaurant that may or may not be operational at any point in time. Right, because it was switching owners constantly. Yeah, and um, yeah, that was it. There's a post office. Right. And so uh, then the next biggest town's they weren't that big and they didn't have, like Nathan said, bookstore for a long time. Uh, 
basically, if you're going to do real shopping for any kind of specialty item, you had to make an hour drive. And so for us, that was kind of a big deal because we never went to Tulsa. Right. Yeah. And that's still the closest comic book shop to Muskogee is in Tulsa. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the cover of, of cable here. Uh, what number is that? I can't even see, but it's on the cover. It says still, uh, dollar 50. I'm like, oh man, I wish, wish comics were still a dollar 50. That'd be kind of nice. But think of how many yards we had to rake to make a dollar 50. That's true. (laughs) During, during that, that phase. So. Yeah, because allowances were not like something our family did. It was like, no, you're going to go out and work for it. So these that's the reason why you still have these. These are like highly prized, bought with blood, sweat and tears kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've got uh, I actually have a larger collection of comics. It's 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 not extensive. It's it's just kind of things that interested me either for the artwork or for the the storyline, because, I mean, you can get some really deep end stuff with comics when it comes to art and with uh with with philosophy um there's actually it's kind of funny there's a there's an issue of captain marvel where at the end of this issue and i found it not too long ago and i put it back up on the shelf and i need to pull it back out again because at the end of it um like people come around and just pack up the universe like it's a movie set and captain marvel's just kind of left in this blank screen but i kind of that happened during a time in my life when um, the projects that I had originally moved to Norman for, uh, it was a church plant. The church plant had failed and, um, and actually a little bit of history with me and my wife, uh, Mickey, uh, she and I dated and then she broke up with me, um, the same week that the church plant closed its doors. And then I go to, uh, borders. It was still open at the time. And I, I pick up, you know, I'm looking for some comic to read, some something to do. And I'm reading and like, this is the one I pick up is the one where like, oh, well, that's exactly how I feel right now. So I have that one somewhere around here. It's still very near and dear to me. But they did return to their romance. What? How many? It was a few years later, wasn't it? Was it was about three and a half years that yeah. we didn't, we didn't talk at all. And then we, we started talking again and basically it was more of like, why are we not together? But I, I think ultimately is um, we both needed to, to have a, a little more experience, life experience under our belts. And I, I know I matured a lot during that three and a half years. And uh, I'm gonna play the fifth because I don't want to get into that. And um, I know that we both kind of had different perspectives when we got back together. And so that's, I think that's a good place to leave that story for now. It, well, I, I I will add this little um, epilogue, you know, uh, we came in here, Mickey was in the kitchen fixing up lunch and, you know, you were in there just jumping in where needed and picking up the slack and taking care of the oldest daughter who was uh, reluctantly eating her ramen. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, y'all guys have, have made it work and I think it's pretty cool that, that things kind of came full circle and now you're back here in Norman, both of you and... Yeah. It's and, craziness. And we confirmed it for you. For anyone who heard any of the screaming on the last episode, um, we confirmed uh, they were not being abused. Um, apparently, it was a fight over some Hall- Halloween decorations or something. And the youngest child bit the oldest child in the back. So that's what was the massive scream. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I was back bitten once by uh, one of my cousins growing up. And 
feel you. Someone bites you in the back. You know, it's really funny that that's a phrase. I don't know. Is it does it happen often enough that we have a phrase called backbiting? <laughs> um, because I know it's happened to me. And apparently, it just happened to my my oldest. I want to say that the sister between us, or one of the sisters between us, actually did it to me at some point. So I guess that's a thing <laughs> that people do instinctively. Children, anyway. I mean, <laughs> I hope that you know the adults I hear using that phrase are using it metaphorically, or in a context where we are not going to explore on this episode. So, so that being said, uh, we're here to wrap up. Uh, we're here to wrap up segue. the attitudes <laughs> because that's the next logical step to what we're doing absolutely so you're actually going to be taking us through through matthew and i'm going to be kind of inserting some different uh perspectives as like as far as uh what luke had to say and maybe some historical notes but uh, i think i think for the most part you're gonna drive the bus on this one yeah feel free to jump in at any time i mean it's not like it's my prerogative as the older sister i get to well i mean yeah, it's not like that's anything that doesn't go without saying. You're going to do that either way. So Yeah, can't stop me. Can't stop you. So um, now basically, what we, as we go through this, um, I want to just kind of go over uh, basically some stuff that I'd done years ago in a study before and as I was leading a small group and talk about some specifics of the Beatitudes and how sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. And just what that means. So the, you know, the first one, uh, you know, Jesus go, goes up on the hill. And one of the things I want to do is, you know, we'll kind of give you the references, but I don't necessarily, we're not necessarily going to read, read everything, but, uh, Matthew five, uh, he's the Beatitudes start in verse three and go on to 11 in this one. So, the Beatitudes, like we covered before, they, they kind of follow that, simp- that formula of blessed is. We talked about blessed means God's with you. Um, it's not just, quote, happy, as, as a lot of Sunday school teachers have said. Um, now, Or even some Bible translations, unfortunately. Oh, have. do they, just some of the translations mm-hmm. say that? Yeah. I don't guess I've used any of those translations. Consider yourself blessed. <laughs> with God? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway uh so we all know that uh the blessed is the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven um that one i i think is really interesting now as we go through these um because you wanted to talk about some of the stuff in luke too so i think we should kind of hit the parallels as we go along so um i'm gonna go ahead and jump into this but you know Growing up, you know, blessed is blessed are the poor in spirit is one of those phrases that the meaning may not necessarily be obvious, and especially if we're talking about Jesus saying that someone's blessed because of it, or and and not necessarily blessed because of it, but just that they are that they are blessed. And poor in spirit. Growing up in in Sunday school, I had always heard that poor in spirit meant that you were. Uh, Someone who recognized the fact that God was great and it humbled you and you were striving to be humble and see other people as better than yourself and that it was some kind of, uh, what's the word? It's kind of a badge of honor. Badge of honor. Uh, 
I want to say meritorious act, but that's not exactly how I would want to phrase it, but it's some kind of, um, it's, it's kind of like you have attained this, this level of recognizing what a wretched sinner you are, that you've achieved something in, in that recognition. Well, and it's not even recognizing it. It's, it's striving to play the role and is how, how I've kind of heard it portrayed and explained growing up. And that, that definition really, um, it never set well with me because it didn't seem to make any sense because the wording seemed pretty plain to be someone who's poor in spirit would be someone who is morally bankrupt or who is not uh, living their life well. And here you have Jesus saying, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so as we look at this, it's kind of more of a proclamation that God's here to redeem that. And I was going through, as I was studying this years ago, I came across a, an article where it suggested that actually the first four are, first four of the Beatitudes are actually negative things that God is coming to redeem. And then the others are, um, are positive, um, which that puts Matthew's Beatitudes very much in line with the apocalyptic literature that we were talking about, that, that God is going to come back in these final days, and he's going to redeem these things. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of gives us the way that Matthew is looking at this, that this is not um, wisdom lit. Right. This is God showing up and being on the scene to, to bring about something new. Exactly. And so... So we have this this idea that, you know, yes, we have that recognition, but it's not something to strive for. It's something that that is. Because, and I always think of, um, back in the day, I was listening, I was hanging out at a friend's house, and I had a friend who had, um, in his living room, had like three to four different TVs, depending on his roommate situation and and his budget and whatnot, because he and his friends uh, well, and myself included, we were, I wasn't as big into games as they were, but they were into really into games and they were more into tabletop games, but they were also into video games. So I was over there and I was playing a video game on one TV and a group of people are watching one of the, one of the shows. And I want to say it was 24. I could be wrong. They were watching some, uh, crime drama show on one of the other televisions. And one of the lines, and this was, you know, back in the early days of the internet, you know, before everyone really kind of understood what it was. Do we understand what it is? We don't really. I think it it might actually be a plot, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> I'm kidding. We are not a conspiracy theory show. Um, but usually, usually not. <laughs> but one of the, in one of the lines I remember is, you know, the computer expert hacker person on the team is looking through the what's going on with this virus and it goes and the line was it looks like they're trying to corrupt the internet and one of my friends goes you can't do that it came that way and that's kind of i think a good illustration a good way of thinking about you know blessed are the poor in spirit it's not something we should strive for we came that way we right we showed up to the scene in need of a savior and god's here to redeem that and so it's this proclamation it's one of the first things that that jesus says in this whole sermon is Hey, you know what? Sinful people, people who can't save themselves, God is here for you. Um, and not to, not like 
to take it out, and he's here to save you. You know, you're you're going to be included in the kingdom, and that's that's great news. Um, yeah. Now, you uh, had actually uh, had taken some. Uh, I think you had some information where he parallels uh, either a book in the Old Testament, or were you going to hit up? Oh, you uh, know, Luke, real quick. Actually, oh my goodness, I left my notes in the other room. Oh, that's okay. Because there is uh, parallels in the Old Testament. Do you have a cross-reference there? No, I don't. Okay. Well, um, what do we want to do? Let's pause for a moment, and I will we'll retrieve my book. Just a second. So, via the magic of television slash YouTube, <laughs> um, it's been mere moments for you. Um, a heartbeat. <laughs> just a heartbeat away. Um, Emily now has her notes. Let me go back to where I was in the Bible, but um, so we're going to be going back to blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things then, and this is actually, as we were preparing for this episode, I actually learned quite a bit from Emily on these because I didn't realize quite how much this, that the Sermon on the Mount paralleled a lot of the Old Testament teachings. And I'm just hitting the bare minimum here. Uh, this actually, this is Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 and 2, which is part of what Jesus, if you look in the book of Luke, Jesus reads this at, at one point, and it kind of becomes the mission statement of his entire ministry. And so um, I'll read those right quick, and this actually covers not just blessed are the poor in spirit, it also covers blessed are those who mourn. Um, so verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn. So mm -hmm. this is really kind of the foundational piece of Jesus' ministry, and the fact that he kind of restates it here in this formula that we've known as the Beatitudes, and makes it very accessible and very memorable by, by kind of stripping away, I don't want to say the extraneous stuff, but but just kind of boils it down. So right. he restates it so you can participate in it as a listener. Yeah, that's good. So now you said you want to uh, also take a, take a look at the the uh, at Luke, Beatitudes in, in Luke as well. Because he does include this. Luke does not have a parallel for all of the uh, Beatitudes that Matthew offers us, but he does include it. And his is just, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so the, the poor in spirit, it's not there. But Matthew, he's not as focused on the idea of Jesus being Messiah. Right. He's more focused on the people in front of him, the, pa the problems that they're facing. And he, Matthew talks a lot about wealth and power and influence. And when he talks about the poor, he's talking about people who are on the fringes of society, the marginalized. Is that Matthew or Luke? Uh, sorry, Luke. Okay. And uh, we'll get too many names right around. And Luke includes a lot of stories. Uh, we have lots of stories about women. We have stories about Romans. We have stories about people who are not part of the covenant community yet. Right. And Luke is very focused on the fact they're going to be included. So he's not so much worried about their spiritual condition at this point as he really is talking about the physicality of being human and, and their social position, which makes sense with Luke being a doctor. And this also puts Luke less as an apocalyptic writer of the Beatitudes and makes him more in the tradition of the wisdom literature. Right. And that's actually, um, 
uh, you know, you're talking about the, the physical thing. We actually kind of see some of that in some of the Beatitudes with, um, with Matthew, mm-hmm. and that's where we get into that. And I'm not going to cover every single Beatitude in detail, because the second one is, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to explain that to anyone. Um, we other, might, be, might not uh, be the podcast for you if we do. <laughs> other, than, other than to say, you know, I mean, I don't know. There may actually be something. Uh, I don't know. I just, I'm going to take us on a tangent now. Other than to say, uh, you know, there's there's a growing trend that I have noticed in in churches and in worship music, and that's this idea of this conjured up kind of brokenness. That if you know, in order to really have an encounter with God and a worship experience, you've got to, uh, you know, verbally flagellate yourself um, in order to get to a point where you're just broken and mourning over your how your own wicked state and how you need to do that every Sunday and, you know, get to that state of mourning so that you can be comforted by God. And I think we lean a little too much on that, especially, you know, sometimes, hey, you know, we have a decent week and it's okay to enjoy that and celebrate that. And you're, you're not worshiping or praising God any less um, by skipping your morning hour. Um, so, that I'm, you know, I might, that's something that springs to mind. Uh, but other than that, we're not going to go super deep into to all these. Now, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm sure we've all heard that one. And that's actually one that is very, it's not very attractive. Um, because again, we kind of see it as something that, oh, well, if we're going to inherit the earth, we better strive to be meek. And now we get kind of, there's kind of been some confusion on this because I have heard, you know, growing up, we always talk about, well, meek means you're strong, but you're controlled. Um, you have ever, you, you have it together. You could, you, you know, like a horse with a bridle. Um, it's a strong horse, but it's meek because it's being controlled. And we need to do that with our flesh and control it. And I think that kind of, you know, there's a, there's, I think when you brought out this, uh, the Old Testament parallel, which go ahead and do you have that yeah, pulled up there? That That's um, Psalms 37, 11. And the verse says, but the meek shall inherit the land. And the Hebrew word there is Eretz, which is also translated earth sometimes. And uh, so the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And when you go back and you read this entire Psalm, and it's, it's actually a pretty lengthy one, uh, it's talking about God coming for his saints and the fact that God is going to be there with those who have been oppressed by the wicked. And it's not so much this idea of even strength under control. It's just those people who have been subjected to, to abuse to the point that they have nothing left to fight with. Mm -hmm. And it's only God who's going to be able to come in and rescue them from the situation. And when he does, it's going to be an over the top, just mind-blowing rescue. You're going to look for the wicked, and they're going to be no more. Um, and he is going to bring forth justice. And so it, it's just the idea of justice in that in God's presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now next is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now I have a lot to say about this one, because <laughs> this one, uh, growing up, we always kind of had, well, we always, I always had this, uh, teaching from a lot of pastors, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who are doing their quiet time, 
who are showing up to every single service, who are just on fire for Jesus and just so in love with God that all their, everything they do is pursuing Jesus, pursuing Jesus, and nothing wrong with pursuing Jesus. I, that's fantastic. But that's not really what this verse is about. Because righteousness is in the, the Hebrew uh, translation. This is actually something I learned from Emily as she was going through her, uh, through her master's program, is that righteousness means love and kindness or someone who performs acts of love and kindness. So when we say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and especially, you know, following it up on blessed are the meek, Blessed are those who have been deprived of acts of love and kindness mm-hmm. because, um, because they'll be satisfied. In my kingdom, if you're coming in and you have not been shown love in your, in your life, this is where you can find it. That's a big deal because, you know, hunger and thirst for, for love and kindness. And what do you hunger and thirst for? Things that you have done without. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you really unpack that with an understanding of righteousness is not, oh, I want to be in right standing with God. It's no, nobody treats me well. And I need to find it. And the kingdom is where you find it. And I think that's something we can see. It's prevalent in today's society. I mean, how many times have we gone to someone who they're just having a bad day? And if you're nice to them and you can see them just break wide open because they, they've been so deprived of that loving kindness. And these aren't even always big acts. Sometimes they're just small considerations. Mm-hmm. And we as Christians need to be responsible for enacting the kingdom of God through those little small kindnesses and declaring that this is God's rule. But this um, beatitude is actually based on Isaiah 55, uh, 1 and 2. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and labor for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So the idea that when you are present with God, you're going to have this overabundance. And what happens when you have an overabundance, it's easy to share. Mm -hmm. So if we are participating in God's kingdom, we're experiencing loving kindness from our Father, and then we disseminate that further. Yep. Another one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Does that, is that one in Luke as well? Um, I don't remember which one, one he parallels. But, yeah. But there's not a lot that I have to say about that one other than sometimes we go through these, a lot of times we think that Jesus is talking about pie in the sky, which, uh, you know, after... After we're dead and gone, this is what's going to happen. Suffer through this life, and then you'll get a reward, which sometimes there are things that I think there are some things that go that way. But sometimes I think Jesus is talking just about like how the world works. And hey, if you're merciful, you'll be shown mercy. You know, it's kind of like uh, in the Proverbs, you know, a kind answer turns away wrath. Um, so, you know, sometimes we need to just be kind to people and understand that if you are good to people, People oftentimes will be good to you. Now, you know, of course, that's not hard and fast rule. Again, you're talking about the wisdom literature side of things. Uh, you know, we're sometimes those are not just about. Um, they aren't these great spiritual they're, truths. They're, they're, well, they're, just, they're, they're not. They're not formulas. There's 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 a almost random aspect of the universe that, you know, 
we can do the best thing, and Jesus addresses that too, or we can we can do the right thing, the the wise thing, because we are instructed, you know, in uh, in the Proverbs to be smart with our money, to to plan for the future. But then Jesus also says, you know, talks about the guy who fills his barns and then dies the next day. Yeah, well, and and I think a lot of times with wisdom literature, they're very earthy, and so that's why I meant by they're they're not great spiritual truths. I mean, they're very earthy. Just this is the nuts and bolts of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we overlook that. I mean, because if you get to reading Proverbs, there's some stuff like a bribe pays the way. Um, are we supposed to bribe people? Uh, probably not. But at the same time, um, that's just a truth. That, sure. That's just a fact. So this one is kind of more loosely based on Proverbs 14.21. Uh, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty harsh. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Hmm. And so this idea that if you love your neighbor, you're going to be merciful right. to your neighbor. So, Right. And then blessed are the pure in heart actually ties in really well with that same idea of blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God ties really well with that same idea that, you know, sometimes this stuff might be for, for here before we're dead and gone. And... You know, it's not like, oh, I got to work to purify my heart, which, you know, we should work to purify our hearts. We're told in the Bible to purify ourselves. And, you know, you can kind of parallel that with uh, ritual purity that, you know, if you aren't pure, you can't go into the temple. Um, But the idea here and what what it rings true to me when I think about this and, uh, you know, my opinion's worth the paper it's written on. But uh, (laughs) but. From what I have seen, I think we need to look at this and say, if we're pure in heart, we're going to see God, we're going to see what he's doing in the world, and we're going to find a place to join him and partner with that. And I think too often we tend to separate ourselves out from God's work in the world. And I think it was Donald Miller who said, you know, we don't have to, if, if we think we need to serve poor people in another country, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to try to work and sweat and strain to figure out how to serve people and give them provisions. There's organizations all over the world that are working to help poor people. Go join one. Mm-hmm. And you can see that people who are generous are working there, and God is moving people's hearts to be generous and do good and serve with acts of love and kindness. And so we can go and be part of these organizations and be there and serve people and give them food and bread and water. And if we aren't going, we can support them financially to go and do these things because the, the, the framework's already there. Mm-hmm. And there, every one of these groups is looking for people who can go and help. Well, I think so often we've been conditioned in Christian culture to be on guard against evil society and the world. And, and so when we look out around us, because we're looking for that, that's our focus. Mm-hmm. And I think part of being pure in heart is, is are we looking for God? Are we trying to see where he's active and what he's doing? And so it is simply realign your focus. Start looking for him and quit looking for evil. Yeah, and because you that's have, good. You have to understand evil in order to see it sometimes. And so is that a pure heart that understands evil? That's, I mean, I'm you, asking. You mean, you mean in order to spot... It, it, to spot evil where it doesn't exist, you yeah, just, you, it would be an indication of an impure well, heart. Okay, let's let's give a um, here's an example. On the internet right now, there's this huge buzz about whether Monster is actually has the six 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 
in its monster logo. <laughs> and because uh, the way the M is drawn, it looks like a Vav, uh, which is the Hebrew uh, letter slash and or number for six. Right. And so, you know, what are you looking for when you see those kinds of things? Right. I, I think you're looking for evil. You well, aren't. Well, let's go even. Let's go a little more practical because that's that's like getting your conspiracy theory conspiracy theory wacko who's who's gonna not look for anything good no matter what. Let's go a little more practical. Um, how many times have I heard in a sermon, um, not necessarily in a sermon, but in some kind of teaching? Oh, you need to limit your social media time, which I think, you know, you can definitely get mm -hmm. addicted to social media. You can spend too much time on it. I probably spend too much time on it. But, you know, that's just a confession there. Pray for me, guys. I, I probably actually need a little help with that. But think about this. Um, the Scandalous Group, again, we're going to plug that, but it's just a great example. You know, you started that with a smartphone and just a desire to help other people. And so you took something that, you know, I, it's to the point where I actually, when I was working at Guitar Center with, uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was helping this lady check out and she was asking about guitar lessons. And I said, and she asked if I knew anyone in her town. I said, I don't know anyone in that area who does guitar lessons um, because we would refer to teachers uh, quite a bit. Um, and then I said, I learned to play just getting on the internet. And she goes, oh, internet, that, that's a dirty word. like. That's how wow. far some people take it. But yeah, well, what are you using the internet for? Yeah, if you're, if you're using it for uh, pornography or if you're using it for uh, just escapism, then yeah, it's going to be a bad thing. But if you're using it actively uh, to help build communities, mm -hmm. you know, then go for it. I mean, it's, and there are, there are churches who use, uh, there's, I was at a church who used this one social networking uh, app that was specifically designed um, for churches. I'm going, why are we doing this? Everything this app does, Facebook does better, for one. Um, and everyone, almost everyone in the church has Facebook already. There are a few people who don't, and they make that choice to stay off of it, and that's totally fine. But you just, it just makes no sense to me that we want to try to reinvent the wheel with a Christian label, and it's, you know, I kind of think also about Jesus when the disciples came and they said, hey, we found someone who's preaching and casting out demons in your name, but they're not one of your disciples. And Jesus is like, let them. They're doing good. Let them do good. And so, you know, that's, I don't know. So that's my little tangent on the church uh, <laughs> wanting to reinvent the wheel every time they think that they can meet a need. Well, and it comes back down to, is the God who lives within us really greater than the world around us? And I think we we have to deliberately affirm that in our lives and to ourselves, that God, you know, greater is he who is in me than in the world. And we have to live out that truth and stop being afraid of um, pollution from the outside. And so, yeah, because you and I can both go off on that one. And because we, we live very deliberate lives. Um where we do not segregate ourselves from from people who are not believers. And we, we try to have those conversations, meaningful conversations, mm -hmm. with just whoever happens to be around. And that's not saying that we got it all figured out. It just means that we have made it a priority um, to, to engage this world because they need to see the God who's in us, and we need to stop worrying that the outside world might pollute God somehow. Right. He's holier than that. He's greater than that. And if we ever start bowing to that fear— because we're scared of 
this evil world out there, then we're denying the truth of the gospel. Right. So, okay. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Uh, this one actually um, is paralleled in Psalms 24, uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So he will receive loving kindness from the God of his salvation. Right. So I, I, I love that. Anyway. The next one is one of my favorites because it's just fun to tell the story and piece it all together. Like it, I love retelling how this all cobbled together in my mind. Um, blessed are the peacemakers for they the shall cheese be. Makers? Peacemakers? Peacemakers. Did I say cheese? You they, did. They will, unha- they will inhibit their girth. Oh, sorry. I watched Life of Brian recently. <laughs> the peacemakers. Monty Python. <laughs> I had to throw that in. Uh, showing up like the Spanish Inquisition there. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, the blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, when, when I taught this one years ago, um, this, this is, this one was one that I kind of went on a, a kind of roundabout trip to get there because we often hear uh, verses, in particular those of us in the church, we we often hear verses so much that we're like, okay, this means that, this means that, because we've been told that this means that and this means that, and one verse means the other, but we don't often read the text and see what it says. And so one of the tricks that I, I picked up, I don't remember who it was who told me this, was if you come across a verse like that where you feel like you're too familiar with it to really penetrate the the meaning and get in there and and pick it apart just in your mind take the word isolate the key words and then figure out what they would mean in a, in another context and so as i did this i you know blessed are the peacemakers peacemaker keyword so i pull out the word peacemaker and of course the first thing i thought of um because dad watched a lot of westerns was the colt uh 45 single action army pistol uh, also known as the peacemaker. And I was pretty certain that Jesus was not blessing projectile weaponry that had not yet been invented. Um, I'm sorry for any of our gun people out there. I don't think that's where he was going, but that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Anyway, so um, so I, I, was, I was not content with that. So I got to looking at peacemaker and I did some looking into some Jewish sources um, about peace and you know, peace means, uh, is our equivalent to shalom. It's our closest translation, which anytime any religion uh, has the word peace, look up what their version of peace means, because in, uh, you know, in Greek, uh, that's the closest, the Greek word for peace was the closest they had to the Hebrew word for peace, but the Hebrew word for peace means nothing missing and nothing broken. And that means that your relationship with your family, with yourself, with God, is all together with your community and, and it's, it's full, it's complete. And no one, I mean, it's not just an absence of war. And that's where you get in the Greek and the English versions, the absence of war. And so I was thinking about this, um, you know, to make peace, it takes a lot. Even if you're just going with the version of the ab- absence of war, or absence of conflict, making peace takes a lot. Anyone who's been married uh, or been in a family um, or interacted with people, know that if you have someone you're having a hard time with, it takes a lot, first off, to get over your own pride and sometimes say you're wrong. 
but then to go those extra steps, not only to just go, oh, I apologize, so it's on them now, to take that extra step and actually make peace. I mean, if you've ever been in a, in a family situation where people are, you know, there's tension, people don't even want to be in the room, and you're the one to bring up the issue so they can talk about it, that's a scary place. That's terrifying. And so, you know, and we think about it, and I first thought of it this way, and then it, then it kind of moved on from there, but I first thought of it this way, is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We think of people who are highly influential in our lives. What do we refer to them as? We refer to them as like a godsend or something like that that may be sent by God. But it actually goes even farther than that. Um, because as I was reading through some different Hebrew sources, I came across the story of Aaron. And uh, Aaron, as in Moses' brother, and he was uh, said to have been a bringer of peace. And what there's um, some uh, Talmudic stories, sorry, can't speak there, but uh, there's some Talmudic stories about Aaron. And whenever there would be conflicts in the camp, he would go to uh, one of the, the people. He said he would dress himself in sackcloth and cover himself with ashes. And he would go and sit with the first offended party and wail and moan with them because he was sad for the loss of this relationship. And he had just got done speaking with the other person and they were uh, moaning, mourning the loss of the relationship as well. And he would sit with that person and talk to them until they had removed all enmity from their heart, as the text says. And then he would go to the second person and do the same thing until peace was restored. And so people who made peace in the time of the second temple were often referred to as disciples of Aaron or sons of Aaron, which uh, son and disciple, because in the, well, if you, if you look at the rabbinic uh, teaching style and rabbi disciple relationship, it wasn't just like we sit at a desk and we learn. It was, you imitate your, your, Rabbi, the disciple imitates the rabbi so much that they're called sons of that rabbi. And so Jesus is saying, uh, blessed are the peacemakers because you'll be called the sons of, everyone would have expected sons of Aaron uh, from, from any other rabbi. But Jesus says, sons of God. Um, he was saying, if you bring peace, if you restore a relationship, bring wholeness to any place, people will say, you have learned from God. You have been discipled by God. And so I think that's a, I mean, of course, you know, I don't think the word discipled would have been used. I don't think that's actually a verb, but you'll be considered a disciple of God, which is pretty cool. I mean, if you think about it, who else would you want to be taught by? Well, and, and we can get to the whole concept of sonship as far as being a son of God and uh, or a child of God, if we want to be more politically correct. Um, but the idea that that we are going to be included in his family, and Paul's going to talk us about us becoming the sons and daughters of, of God later on in, in the New Testament, and he's going to talk about the benefits of adoption and the fact that this has, not only does it have benefits, but there's there's uh, obligations, there's responsibilities mm -hmm. that come with this. And so being a peacemaker is one of them. So if you're going to be a son of God, if you're going to join this New Testament family, this covenant of faith, this community of faith, this is what 
Paul and Jesus and those around you should expect to see is that you're going to be making peace among not just the people that are near and dear to you, but also in the world. And we can mm-hmm. we can do that so easily. I don't think we realize that many times making peace is, it can be those big moments like you're talking about, right. but it can also just be little things to smooth the way. Yep. Now, these last two uh, kind of go together. Um, mm-hmm. Blessed are those who are Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you uh, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, and so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the thing I find interesting about this is the, the people who were doing the talking and the persecuting and the reviling, as it were, um, they weren't people outside the church. We have got to get over in America. We've got this idea that, well, people outside the church aren't going to like you if you live your life for Jesus. And yeah, you might run into some conflict if you're being combative, if you're just straight up walking up to people and being like, oh, you're an evil sinner and you're just a wretched person and they don't understand where you're coming from. Um, because they don't see the world from a biblical viewpoint that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus was not talking about people outside of the faith when he was talking about the people who were persecuting and reviling. He was talking about who? The religious leaders. Hmm. He, and so we've got to understand that sometimes if we are doing what Jesus calls us to do, then we are going to get some pushback. Well, this is an ongoing pattern throughout the Old Testament, and... When God would send a real prophet, they put him in wells, they stoned them, they they did all these horrible things to them, and it was because they were saying things that the religious community did not like, and mm-hmm. it upset the status quo. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to be in my kingdom, expect this to happen to you. Right. And this is to the point that when we look in the book of Jeremiah, uh, you know, we know that Jeremiah is the true prophet. Mm-hmm. Hananiah is a false prophet. And um, Jeremiah accuses Hananiah of saying peace where there is no peace. And mm-hmm. this becomes the standard, kind of the gold standard in rabbinic schools of thought that if a prophecy was too pretty, if it was too smooth, if it felt good on your ears, then it was false. Right. It was only prophecy that shook you from your complacency and really drove you to look for God uh, that angered or offended you that was true prophecy. And, you know, and I think this kind of goes against today in a lot of churches we're being taught that, oh, if you give a prophetic word to someone, it should only be uplifting. It should be. Yeah. And it's this, this sweetness. And prophecy was not sweet. Go back and read Ezekiel. If you ever want to know for a fact, prophecy is not sweet. I won't go into it right now. Maybe one day we'll get to go through Ezekiel. That could be fun. That could be fun. It's not sweet. And so I think a lot of people forget that the Bible really does come to confront people, but it's the people who are in relationship with God. Mm. And the thing is, and this is the other thing that drives me crazy. Any goodness you see me as a Christian, anything that I might do right, it isn't because I got it right. Right. It's because I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells in me, by the grace of God. It's this whole thing that I have been invited to participate in and I have chosen to become a part of. I didn't do it. 
God's doing it through me. So why do we expect this world, this outside world, who does not have the benefit of this grace, right, to be able to step up and do the things that you and I struggle to do despite the empowerment? So, okay, I can get really wound up on this because I see this all the time. And I just, I want to look at Christians and say, hey, do you realize this isn't supposed to be a bed of roses? And mm-hmm. this is this is supposed to cost you. And Jesus reaffirms it in his first major public teaching. Right. So, and, and I think whenever we go through and walk through the Beatitudes in that manner, it makes more sense. Things don't seem as heavy. It doesn't seem like a, a crazy burden that's being placed on you. And I, I feel like the way that we always learned it growing up, it felt like, just so you know, this is unachievable and you're probably going to hell. Well, and the things that we we thought we understood were actually abstractions. They weren't concrete. They didn't have a nice little way to grab hold of them. Mm-hmm. And so when we put them back into an Old Testament context and even a Second Temple lit um, right. context, we began to see, oh, these make sense. Well, they do. I mean, and and that's the thing that, you know, when you get away from the uh, what uh, Michael Heiser refers to as the X-Files view of inspiration, where the writers went into, uh, you know, auto writing mode and, and then were like, oh, what did I write? Well, none of this makes sense. You know, it wasn't like that. They were writing for the audience around them. They were writing for people so they could understand. So they were using images. They were using symbols they understood. And Matthew tying so much stuff into the Old Testament and also using language that they'd understand. They would know what it meant to be a son of God. Well, and that's where we've got to recognize they come from a full and fully formed culture. Mm-hmm. This is not what we have in this book is such a tiny little piece. I was listening to a guy, uh, a Jewish scholar, teach, and he was talking about you know a lot of times when things happen in the Bible, we don't know where they are. If they're right. inside, outside, are they standing? Are they sitting? What are they wearing? We don't know this information. And in order to kind of be able to put ourselves back in these situations. We need to gather all the information we can, which sure. means going back through the Bible, what applies, and then looking at Second Temple literature, looking what we can discover from archaeology, mm-hmm. any source that we can get that's reliable, right. and really plugging that into the Bible to help us understand the Bible. Right. And there are, there are plenty of scholars who are working to try to make more of this stuff accessible. Um, you know, Emily, if for one. But there are also lots of other podcasts that do this, and and we want to we want to kind of bridge the gap because I don't know if we actually mentioned this in our first episode, but part of the reason that we're doing this is because we want to make the scriptures accessible. Because even though there are lots of scholars who are doing great podcasts, they're writing great books. Sometimes there is a bit of a language gap, um, mm-hmm. and so we want to try to make things simple. And and we try to catch ourselves anytime we use a phrase or word that's not common, we try to define it. We try to steer away from jargon um, because we want, we think that the Bible, even though it's got layers and layers of complexity, I think many of those layers, particularly the layers that, that affect our daily lives, most of those things can be spoken in plain language. And that's where we're really going to get into uh, what we do here is trying to make it plain language and we wanted to also just be a conversation casual, as you notice, we go everywhere um, with our with our topics. So, and we're still being very well behaved compared to a normal conversation. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, we're we're trying to stay focused for you. It's 
tell you, it's a sacrifice because normally uh, we would not, we would start on the Beatitudes and we probably wind up in uh, Acts or then Ezekiel and then, you know, Zimbabwe. We, we go everywhere. Uh, so thank you for uh, hanging with us as we go through this little trek on the Beatitudes. Um, I'm not sure what topic is for next week, um, but um, I believe uh, you should in the next few days be getting hit with the main, the, the main feature of commentarians where we will be doing Frida as we announced in uh, the coming attractions. Be sure to check that out. Me, Emily, and again, Joe Zaragoza uh, from common, uh, no, from, well, from commentarians, mm-hmm. but also from drinking at Bible study. Um, go check those out. It's a whole lot of fun. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. Um, it's a big celebration with the three of us on the relaunch of commentarians. And then we got uh, even more of those coming around the way. Uh, we got some interviews and some special guests and be sure to check it out. In the meantime, uh, if you like what you heard, or if you have a question, if we started something and we didn't finish it. Which is very likely. Which is very likely. I'm I After editing episode one, I have been going, I tend to start a lot of sentences that I don't finish. So if there's something you wanted to know what I was going to say, uh, or what Emily was going to say, let us know. If you have questions about things we haven't even broached yet, uh, hit us up. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Raven Creek SC and uh, RavenCreeksc.com can get you to those places as well. And feel free to contact us. We look forward to hearing from you. Do you have anything else, Em? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.